Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. Well, in case you weren't sure, this is not a normal worship song because we are in not a normal worship series. We are in a new series called Playlist. And in it, we are looking at secular songs that you, the congregation, have given us to say, this is where I find God in secular culture. This is where I find God in different kinds of music, not just worship music. And it's a testament to how God is at work, not just in these four walls, but far beyond as well. So the song that we have already heard for this evening is Love Without End, Amen. And by the time we get to the scripture, you will have absolutely no doubt as to why we thought it would be a good pairing for us tonight. But just in case you missed it, if you weren't here in the first few minutes, I am not Sam. My name is Anne-Marie. I am our pastor for college and young adult students here at White's Chapel. It's my privilege to be here for a little over a year now to join on with our Saturday night team. I'm usually our assisting pastor. If you're looking at me and thinking I've seen you somewhere before, that's probably it. Um, And a couple of things you might want to know about me before we just dive on in. I'm from Georgetown, Texas, just outside Austin. I just celebrated two years of marriage to my husband right over there. You got that shout out. I preached on high school mission trip on our anniversary and I didn't shout him out, so I felt like I needed that. Thank you for being part of it. Um, I went to Baylor for my undergrad. I got a degree in religion and I just graduated from Perkins School of Theology with my master's in divinity. Oh, okay, Well, well thank you. I appreciate that. I say all of that to say, when you get a Master's in Divinity, which is the degree you have to get to be an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, you take classes on a little bit of everything. So everything from worship to spiritual disciplines to biblical history, all of it comes through your doorway, at least in some part. And when I was preparing to have an MDiv to take all of those classes, there was one class I was exceptionally excited to take and it was my introduction to the New Testament, which I think you can understand why that might be exciting. We would be studying the words of Jesus, right? We would be reconstructing together the world of the New Testament and understanding what it meant to live out what Christ is calling us to. So I planned accordingly. I waited until I could have the exact right time, the exact right day, the exact right professor that I wanted, and when the day finally came to start this class, I was so excited because I thought this was it. I was finally going to do that thing that people that go to seminary do. I was going to learn all of the secrets of Jesus. It was only going to take a quick 45-minute lecture, but when I came out, I was going to know things I had never known before. And the day finally came, a professor got up in front of our class. We were so eager, ready for whatever it is that she had to say. And she welcomed us, told us her name, introduced everything, and she pulled out her Bible. And she read one chapter of the New Testament. And then she got on with the class. And I was like, okay, you're a New Testament professor. That makes sense, right? But then the next class, we got together again. She welcomes us. She pulls out her Bible. And she reads one chapter of the New Testament. But it was the same chapter that she had already read before. So I was thinking, okay, maybe that was a mix-up. It happens to the best of us. Maybe you meant to read another one. You didn't. It's okay. We forgive you. God does that. Let's continue on. Except the next class, 
she pulled out her Bible. She read the same chapter from the New Testament, and she did this for two full semesters. Every single day, she would take that time that we had given to her, that we had gotten other degrees to give to her, that we had paid to give to her, to sit there and listen about the New Testament. She took that time every single day to read the same passage of Scripture. And as you might have guessed, it's our passage of Scripture that we'll be reading tonight. And I hope that together we can look at this Scripture and discover what was so important that my professor, with all of her accolades and all of her publications and her well-renowned scholarship, felt it necessary to begin class with this Scripture every single day. I hope this text will be familiar to you. It comes from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 13. I'm just going to prepare you. It's a little long. Just imagine you had to hear it every single day in class. This is what it says. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see only in a mirror, dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. It's a beautiful scripture. Hopefully you have heard it before. It's a little long. A little long if you're going to hear it every single day. But most of us know it because we have heard it at weddings. But what I love about this scripture, what I came to learn from my New Testament professor, is that this beautiful scripture on how important love is, on how it walks and talks and, and how it lives in the world, doesn't come from a wedding or the birth of a child or any other celebratory event, this text is written to the Corinthians in the middle of a knockdown, drag-out fight. So these words, as I came to learn, came from the first letter that we have recorded to the church in Corinth. This is the church that Paul founded in a populous city full of all kinds of people. And even after leaving this church, he would come back to it again and again. And when he couldn't come, he would send his friends and colleagues. And when they couldn't come, he would write them letters about what they should do, how to be the church, answering their questions. And the reason for this is because like a lot of churches, both then and now, 
the people in Corinth had problems. But unlike a lot of churches, both then and now, the problems that the Corinthians had were all of them. That's not a joke. Every single one. If you could think of a kind of problem a church might have, they thought about it. How to worship. They had that one. How to take communion. They had that one. Problems with division. Everything from marriage to singleness to gifts to diets. If it could happen, they thought about it. And so what we find in this first letter in Corinthians is that Paul has a careful and attentive address to every problem they give him. He offers them solutions and wisdom and new paths forward. And the best picture that we get of how he normally operates comes in the chapter just before this one, in 1 Corinthians 12, where we find out that the Corinthians are fighting over, of all, of all things, spiritual gifts. So you all know what spiritual gifts are. It's the things given to us by the power of God for the purpose of God. It's things like the gift of mercy, or encouragement, or speaking, or prophesying, things that God created to build up the church. But how did the Corinthians use them? Rather than valuing these gifts for what they are, the Corinthians stacked them up against each other. In fact, they they devised an entire hierarchy of which gifts were more important, which gifts they should value, and which ones, you know, came from God, but they weren't as good. So they'd taken these gifts that God had given them, and instead of using them for their purpose to build up the church, they built up themselves. The Corinthians found themselves in the middle of two worlds. The first one was the actual city of Corinth, a popular city full of the same kind of society that we have all around us. The one that says, If we want to do anything in this life, we better be the best. We better go faster, stronger, harder, better, whatever it is. Competition is the name of the game. And even in in church, that's what we're supposed to do. That's not unlike the Metroplex, you might say. It's not unlike the world that we live in, where we're told time and time again that we have to earn our place at the table that it's not enough to come to it as we are. We better be the best if we want a seat. And while we wish this was an issue only in Corinth, we can find examples across our churches everywhere of people bringing these same rules that exist in the world of how to be and what to value and who we should become and bringing them into the doors of the church. Before I was here, before I was at White's Chapel, I used to work in youth ministry, which is a great blessing. If you could catch anything from that video of a high school mission trip, it is so fun. If you have a week to spare, definitely go. And I loved it for a lot of reasons, but I think my favorite one is that the kids don't always know that there's like a right answer to things yet. Like when you see an adult and they're like not doing well, you ask them, how are you doing? And they say, fine, thank you, yes, exactly, you knew. But when you ask a kid and they're not doing very well, they're gonna tell you they're not doing very well, right? They're gonna be like, well, I'm tired, I'm hungry, that's how I'm doing, right? And the same is true in church. So you'll ask them a question and they might not give you an answer that's as beautiful, but it'll be a little bit more real. 
So for example, a few years ago, I was leading a small group of eighth grade girls, and we were going through a series about legacy. What did we want to be known for? When we moved away to a different school or, or did something else, what do we want people to say about us? And so we were looking at different biblical characters that this applied to, and so we, we gathered together for a small group one night, and I just asked the group, what do you want people to say about you? What do you want to be known for if you're not around? And just without a pause, one of these eighth grade girls, 13 years old, takes a breath and immediately says that I was successful. 13 years old. And then she kind of like took a step back and like remembered where she was. That like, that like probably wasn't the right answer that we were looking for. She takes a deep breath and she kind of sighs and rolls her eyes and says, and you know, that I was nice. I love that answer. I love it because it's honest. It tells the real truth of us living in this world, that we have things that the world tells us to value, that when we go into work on Monday, when we're with our families, when we're doing whatever it is that we do, we are told to value certain things. Success, notoriety, titles, wealth, all of those things the world says, this is the most important thing you could have. But at the same time, we go to church, where we learn that the most important person, the one we revere the most, took the form of a servant. That our calling is to love our neighbor more than ourselves. And so when you try to put those things together, it just doesn't work. And you get a church a lot like the Corinthians, where they're in the world but they want to be in the next one too. And they try to bring those rules from the other world into God's kingdom, and that's where conflict happens. So that's the first thing I want us to take away from our scripture tonight, is that earthly rules won't fit a heavenly kingdom. There's things we've been taught to value, and I don't have to tell you what they are for you to know. I'm sure you could think of a few just off the top of your head. Image, competition, keeping up with our neighbors. My husband and our neighbor across the street are currently in a battle of whose lawn is better. We are losing <laughs> pretty badly. And so when we go into this world of church, when we have texts like this that tell us that love is about the other person time and time again, that it's giving of ourselves, that it's doing the thing that doesn't feel good for us, it's hard for us to grasp. And so Paul has to stand in the gap for these Corinthians. They ask him so many questions about how to do worship, about how to do communion, about how to serve their neighbor, because they just don't get it. And so Paul carefully answers all of their questions. He goes through each one in turn, chapter by chapter, and it's just not sinking in. So by the time he realizes they're fighting over spiritual gifts, the things meant to build up the church, he says, okay, y'all aren't getting this. Your earthly rules aren't going to fit in the heavenly kingdom, so I'm just going to give you a new rule. This is what it looks like. Our rule is love. And as he explains to them what the rules look like in church, what the rules look like in the kingdom of God, the world that is coming, we get some of the famous lines in Scripture, the ones that we hear maybe more often than any others. 
going back to it, it says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. This is the exact opposite of what the world is telling us to be. In a world that says, be better, push ahead, you are what you do. Paul is saying, it's actually not about you at all. It's about how you love. And this is so countercultural. But y'all, hallelujah, so is God's kingdom. It's the place where we don't have to fight for a seat at the table. It's a place where we don't have to work or change to belong. It's the place that we already belong, and not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Because this love that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's what God's love looks like. And so if we want to put down the rules that the world has given us, if we want to instead take up the rules of the kingdom of God, how do we do that? Because when I look at like 1 Corinthians 13, I find it very intimidating. Love that's always patient and kind, it's never arrogant or rude, Never? That's hard to do. So if we want to take up that rule, there's really one thing that we need to do. We need to stay connected to the love that God has for us. So we sang this song tonight, Love Without End, Amen, done by Jesse. It was amazing. And I love the story behind this song. Maybe you all have heard it. It was popularized, as y'all know, by George Strait, but it was written by a man named Aaron Barker. And while other songs might come from imagination or wherever, this song was rooted in real life. Aaron was struggling with how to parent well as his kid was doing things he wouldn't want for him to do. And as he was writing this song, this is what happened. He says that his 16-year-old son had for the first time broken a lot of rules. I'm sure no parents in here can relate to that at all. But he had taken the keys without permission, and he had wrecked his car, and wrecked it so badly that he did not just hurt his own car, he wrecked a brand new Porsche. You can imagine he wasn't very happy with that. And so his son comes home, and he has to do that thing that dads have to do. He laid down the law. He said, this is where you've messed up, this is what you should have done, this is what you didn't do, and because of that, you're gonna have to do all these things. And it's in that moment, in the midst of that fight between a father and son, that Aaron sits down and he writes, love without end, love without end. amen. This is what he says when he was interviewed about the song. He says, I just didn't know if I'd gotten onto him too hard or not hard enough. But the question I was asking is, how can you be that mad at somebody and still love them that much? Where does that ability come from? It's in us all. So I got the guitar and I'm playing and praying and thinking and looking for this answer and the song was the answer to it. 
It was, that's the way God loves us. That's why it's in us all the time. We're born with it. You can get pretty mad at somebody you love and still love them. Then I thought, how cool is that? Maybe I can get away with some of the mistakes I've made and still get in the pearly gates. This kind of love that Paul describes is the love that God has for us. And when we stay rooted in that kind of love, when we are constantly reminded of how much God loves us, when we're in the practice of remembering, of spending time, of being in God's love, it becomes a lot easier for us to give that kind of love away. My favorite commentary that I read this week said this about love. True love, as Paul sees it, always begins with God and always reaches beyond oneself to others. When we do those things, when we take up that rule, when we set aside the rules of the world, when we make our rule love, we build the kingdom of God. We set aside the world that we have now and we start to live in the world that's gonna come fully when Christ returns. And this is the only thing that lasts. The Corinthians are out there trying to make a name for themselves, trying to be well known, trying to be popular, trying to be successful, trying to have every title under the sun. And the only thing that lasts is love. So one more time, we're gonna take a look at the end of this scripture. It says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I've been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. The Corinthians had spent their time following the rules of the world to make something for themselves. But it's only when we set down those rules, when we take up the rules of God's kingdom, of love, that we build anything that lasts. Because what does our scripture say remains? Faith, hope, and love. It turns out that George Strait, in his wisdom, Aaron Barker, in his wisdom, had it right. Love without end. It's not just love without limit. It's love with no ending. It begins and doesn't stop. Because when we act in love, we do the one thing in this world that will last until the next. When we act in love, we are building the kingdom of God, the world that we want to live in, brick by brick. Act of love by act of love, we make earth look more like heaven. The only thing that we have that lasts, hope, the thing that moves us from day to day, will fade. And faith, the thing that through Jesus Christ saves us, even that pales in comparison to love because friends, one day what we hope for will come to pass. 
And one day what we have faith in now, we will see face to face. But what we build with love doesn't end. What we build with love builds the kingdom of God. And that has no end. Amen. Gracious God, we're so thankful for this space. We're so thankful that in the midst of our week, in the midst of our weekend, in the midst of our family lives, in the midst of our jobs, God, you've drawn us here to remind us that you are love. God, we're so thankful that you draw us here to remind us that through you, we get to love as well. God, you've given us this gift. You've given us the ability to set down what the world says is important. Where the world says we are not enough, God, you say you are. Where the world says you have to be and do and achieve, God says I have already achieved all you've ever needed. God, we're so thankful that you are the kind of God who gives us opportunities to love, who gives us opportunities to create things that last. God, we want to live in your kingdom. We want to live in the world that's built and established and sustained by love. Even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, God, we ask that you would draw us closer and closer to that love because that's what we were created for. God, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.